0: Support for this podcast comes from Washington Wise, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington affect your portfolio and your money every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab. The show unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and investments. Listen today at Schwab.com/slash WashingtonWise. That's schwab.com slash Washington Wise. From CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Stay Tuned in Brief. I'm Preet Bharara. Millions of NFL fans tuned into Monday Night Football for one of the most anticipated games of the season with the Buffalo Bills visiting the Cincinnati Bengals on January 2nd. But just nine minutes into the game, Bill safety, Damar Hamlin, collapsed unconscious with apparent cardiac arrest after tackling an opposing player. Hamlin received extensive CPR on the field and was transported to a local hospital. The game was suspended for that evening, but the incident again commenced a national conversation about the National Football League as an organization and its handling of player safety issues. My guest this week is Mark Leibovich. He's a staff writer at The Atlantic and the author of the 2018 book, Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times. Mark, welcome back to the show.
1: Great, great to be with you.
0: So we should start at the outset by informing people that we are recording this in the four o'clock hour on Wednesday, January 4th. And at the time that we are having this conversation, Hamlin is still in intensive care at the hospital. By the time this drops on Monday, we don't know what the situation will be. Can you describe for folks who may not have followed it as closely as, as some, what the best understanding is of what happened medically?
1: You know, there's a lot of um, no one knows for sure, but essentially, Demar Hamlin, a player for the Buffalo Bills, tackled. He's a defensive player. He he tackled T. Higgins, who's an offensive player for the Cincinnati Bengals, who was carrying the ball. Now, you know, usually the tackler is in the aggressive position. Usually, the tackler inflicts greater sort of bodily, you know, harm or, or you know, bodily. There's a higher sort kind of rate of velocity against the person with the ball. This was a case where. The person with the ball, T. Higgins, who's a big, kind of tall, muscular wide receiver, kind of led with his shoulder pads and kind of knocked back uh, DeMar Hamlin, who fell, you know, somewhat hard, uh, but he got right up. And then after about a second, took a step and collapsed to the ground immediately. Collapsed backwards. Collapsed backwards. It was a really bad ball. And his body went limp. His head hit the turf pretty hard. Um, and from what I could tell, he didn't regain consciousness. I mean, from like that point on, fairly quickly, there was some really aggressive medical intervention. Uh, an ambulance came out of the field. Uh, people seemed to know very, very quickly that this was a really serious situation. And um, you know, several minutes later, he was taken off the field in an ambulance.
0: So we know that in fact his heart stopped on the field. Yeah, and it had to be resuscitated. This is something based on the information we have right now, which is preliminary. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it correct, but the event is known as Comotio cordis or commotio cordis. Yeah, that seems to be a, a recurring
1: a consent. Well, I don't know if it's consent. You've heard of, I've heard it from a lot of people who yeah. you know who have who have seen this kind of thing before, and there have been cases that I've seen, um, not actually in football, which is a little bit strange, but in hockey baseball, baseball right? hockey. Yeah, when when the puck or the ball actually hits at the exact you know right or wrong place at the exact wrong second, split second. Um, Something like this has happened.
0: Do you have an assessment of how the league and the professionals at that game in the immediate aftermath of Hamlin's collapse how they handled the situation? Sounds like I mean certainly from
1: an EMT standpoint, uh, they handled it quite well. I mean, if you're going to going to cardiac arrest, and and certainly no one wants to, um, a professional football game is a really good place to do it because there's all kinds of trained, you know, urgent care people around. There's ambulances, presumably they can get you right to a hospital. So it, it sounds like they did everything right. It sounds like they actually did revive him on the field and they actually later had to do the same thing uh, at University of Cincinnati Medical Center. Um, so the proximity was was really, really fortuitous. And it does sound like all the protocols were followed and, and that side of it was really, really good. I mean, obviously it was a stunning situation. There were tons of decisions to make. The league had to figure out, you know, whether to play the game, how long to delay the game, whether to cancel the game, what to do with a few team with the two teams, how to handle, you know, the logistics yeah. of of you know, tens of thousands of people getting in and out of an arena, tens of millions of people watching at home. And it was a very, very precarious situation. I mean, obviously the league's gonna be second guessed um, and they, they caught some heat for waiting you know, maybe 45 minutes an hour to cancel the game.
0: I want to ask you about that. I want to, I want to take that through because the question here for a lot of people is, is, does the NFL care appropriately about the safety of its players? And that's been a controversy for a long time, particularly with concussion protocol. Do you do you believe there is or any there is any semblance of a plan about continuing a game or suspending a game or postponing a game in the event of a serious injury? Or were they just making it up as they went along?
1: Well, first of all, the NFL... They have contingencies for everything. Um, anything catastrophic. Anything complete. I mean, you know, you name it, they have planned for it. They're sort of like the Pentagon, and they they like to think that there are. They they have um, they have scenario planning. They have all kinds of sort of rehearsals for this kind of thing. Having said all that, a crisis moment like this is completely. I mean, I mean it is not predictable. It's it's improvisational. You don't know exactly what kind of injury. You don't know exactly know, you know, what the health of the player is and and so forth. So look, the NFL I thought it has done an abysmal job under over the years protecting its players. They talk about how the game has never been safer. Um, It is not a safe game to play. If you are worried about um, you know, your brain health, your long-term health, I would not recommend that, you know, anyone plays football and, and I would also not give the NFL terribly big um, you know, big points for, for actually helping out over the years, although they've actually... Can agreed. I interrupt you for a second? Oh, just,
0: just, are you a football fan? I am. Do you have any problem squaring the thought you just articulated with the fact that you're an avid fan who watches?
1: Yep, absolutely. I, the cognitive dissonance is, um, you know, it's something I keep in check. I, I certainly admit to it. And, you know, then things like What happened Monday happened, and it becomes instantly harder. The blockades of denial tend to lift in ways that are very uncomfortable. So yeah, I totally own that.
0: So there has been reporting in the moment and since that there was an expectation on the part of some officials that the teams would go back to their locker rooms for a few minutes and then resume play. That's been denied by some people at the NFL. Do you have an understanding based on your sourcing and reporting as to what really unfolded in decision-making that evening?
1: I I don't. I mean, that's a very much of a he said, she said, or he said, he said uh, situation. And, you know, there there was no, the most damning reports of the NFL were that they were going to be given five minutes to warm up on the sidelines, not even go back to the locker room and resume play. Uh, The NFL vehemently denies that ESPN, who was broadcasting the game, which is broadcasting, it, stands by that. um, And, you know, I, I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of that. But obviously, I mean, the, the I mean the NFL does not want to be associated uh, even if they have to lie about it with with that decision if in fact it
0: happened. and obviously, to the extent there was consideration of commencing play very quickly. is that about anything other than money?
1: <sighs> yeah, I mean it's most it's largely about money. I mean look it, it is not a small thing logistically to plan, a game, to postpone a massive NFL game, a production, a television schedule, there are billions of dollars at stake. Having said that, yes, it, it's not a small thing. It is a incredibly small thing next to the life and death situation that was on full display. So, you know, it does sound like, you know, even though the league was second-guessed, I think they ultimately got the decision right, which is to postpone the game. You know, maybe it took a little longer than it should have, but I think in the scheme of things, that's not going to affect you know, the prognosis for, for um, DeMar Hamlin. So ultimately, I, I think, um, yeah, I thought they did probably get the decision right. It's a clunky situation. You're never going to be perfect. You're going to second guess it. But I think they were fine.
0: So on this particular issue, which is different from the concussion, and concussions happen all the time, and there's a controversy about a particular player on a different team and the concussion protocol with him. This does not seem to be, based on what I understand right now, which is obviously incomplete, This is not a recurring thing. It's in some ways, you know, a very, very rare occurrence, as we've mentioned, it it can happen in baseball, where the heart is struck with blunt force at a particular moment, fraction of a second, with particular force, and it causes the heart to stop. Based on this thing and your understanding of the NFL and safety measures, should they change something or not?
1: no i don't think you know you can legislate a rule at least easily you know about whatever this very sort of narrow syndrome is i mean it sounds like if it's going to happen it's going to be a fairly fluky unplanned for situation no matter what but but look yes you're right something that's like an ambulance speeding off the field and you know cpr being administered to someone who's undergoing cardiac arrest i mean that obviously doesn't happen that routinely thank god but the fact is, I mean, serious injury, catastrophic injury is a recurring feature of the NFL. And a lot of it does happen within the context of the game, you know, concussions, you know, just because player X has had 30 concussions and is 50 years old and can hardly walk and no one thinks about him or knows about him, you know, it isn't as dramatic as something that's playing out on national television. Doesn't mean it's any any less catastrophic, right? And that's a lot more common. So, Yeah, I I think, look, I I think there is a serious moral conversation to be had about football and whether it should continue. And again, I've struggled with the cognitive dissonance. I think a lot of people have. But, you know, it it could be that the society at some point decides that, you know, this is not who we want to be. And it goes the way of bullfighting or cockfighting or boxing, things that were very mainstream in various cultures.
0: boxing, Boxing still goes forward, doesn't it?
1: It, it does. It's nowhere <laughs> it's, near as big as it used to be. And, yeah. you know, granted, there are other problems. So you're boxing. saying, but that's a
0: market yeah. force.
1: It is a market force. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, I mean, cultures do change. I mean, American culture does change. I mean, when we were growing up, well, I don't know how old you are, but when I was growing I'm up.
0: 20 I'm 24.
1: Okay. So yeah, so I'm 25. So we're basically <laughs> the same generation. Um, when our parents were growing up in the 70s, um, you know, litter was everywhere. People used to toss big garbage you know, cans out of litter and dog You and I, litter. I
0: think the, the better now, you and I, I think, uh, are similar enough in age that when we were kids, and it seems crazy to young folks, and we rode our bikes at high speeds Didn't wear along helmets. busy roads, we did not wear a helmet. There was not a helmet in sight anywhere. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, and you know, slides and swings at the playground were, um, you know, incredibly dangerous. You fell people, on asphalt. You fell on <laughs> you asphalt. Fell on asphalt. You <laughs> fell on asphalt. And you know what? Uh, it's amazing we survived. We didn't wear seatbelts. I mean, my mother smoked when she was pregnant with me. Now, that explains yeah. well, a lot, that, right? I know. You, you, that's,
0: yeah. but I'm my, my
1: mother drank heavily. No, I won't. I, no, no, just kidding, mom. Um, no, but it's true. I mean, people do cultures do evolve you know much slower than when we'd like them to sometimes, but it does happen.
0: Do you think that there's something about this event, even though it's a singular and rare syndrome as you as you called it, that will cause officials to be better and more aggressive about safety in other areas?
1: Possibly yeah, I, I would hope so. I mean, I think any kind of awareness especially on this incredibly, you know, wide and intense level is going to help the cause of health and safety. I mean, one would think, um, but, uh, you know, and just because this, you know, this is a rare, it seems like it's a pretty rare circumstance. doesn't mean that, that it can't be a incredibly, um, powerful to teaching moment for, for everyone.
0: And just to go back to close the loop on the question, if you know the answer mm-hmm. as to why it took as long as it did to finally postpone the game. Is that, is that because it was in Roger Goodell's hands? and he was wringing his hands or some other reason?
1: You know, there are a lot of factors. I mean, I think one of the things... A lot of the... See, because... I mean, I guess because they have game planned this so much, there are factors that they have thought about and had to think about that we are not aware of. For example, if they called the game after, say, 10 minutes, right... And they announce to the stadium we are calling this game, or you know, it gets word out in the stadium that they're calling this game. You're going to see a flood to the exits, and you're going to see a massive traffic gridlock around the stadium, which could affect the ability of the first responders and the ambulance to um, get the patient to the hospital. So you
0: know I hadn't thought of that. That's right.
1: Point. So so I mean, I was talking to somebody at the league yesterday. I mean, so that alone was something one, I didn't know either, but but two. It's reason enough to make sure that the ambulance is out of the facility, which took about 40 minutes from what I can tell after all the initial work was done, um, you know, about calling the game. I mean, your intent might have been immediately to call the game, but you don't want to communicate this in a way that that, you know, makes it more difficult to to transport the player to the hospital. So there are things like that.
0: Short of ending football, which you mentioned a couple of times, yeah. which many people will not be happy about. You're, you're saying that. If you could wave your magic wand or you could become commissioner with great authority, what one or two things would you do to improve safety?
1: Uh, one, I would <laughs> magic wand. I mean, I would fire a whole lot of the owners. I mean, you can't really do that, but I have a magic wand. They have they, they have stadiums <laughs> and they have billions of dollars, but I have a magic wand. No, I, I think the NFL s- succeeds despite itself. And I think – the despite itself incorporates a basically clueless league office. I mean, I don't think Roger Goodell is a terribly bright or good commissioner. And I think, you know, the NFL owners that I got to know, and, and most of them are, are not an impressive group of people. These are not people that you would handpick for your board at Disney or Federal Express. I mean, these are people and you who, think that
0: has a direct effect on, on the safety question?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, okay. So right. I mean, one example is- there used to be 12 games. There used to be 14 games a year, okay? That is a lot of full-contact football, I mean, to be played by someone. Tom Brady, who's been playing since he was like 14, 15, who's now 45, so that's 30 years, you know, compared um, playing football to a to being in a car crash every Sunday. So basically, a high-impact car crash. So he's now done that for 30 years of his life. Um that doesn't that's not good. So look I and now but, the but
0: the trend has been so explain so the trend has been to increase the number of games. Even as the trend has been to increase
1: the number of games. Even as you know realization
0: why. of the safety issue goes up. How, how do you explain that?
1: Uh I explain it by greed. I think you know, if you can go from fourteen to sixteen to seventeen, um you, you know, you are printing massive amounts of money just by one extra week, you know, massive amounts of ticket revenue, luxury box revenue, TV revenue. Uh, concession revenue, you go down the list. So, you know, these are billionaires getting really, really rich and the network contracts are making them richer. And so, yeah, that's what is driving it. I would, so you would reduce them. the number of games. Yes. So oh, I'm I'm, and I would reduce many of the owners and, and replace them with, again, executives of my magic wand, um, allowed, <laughs> powerful choosing.
0: I mean, it's asking an alternative version of that question because you took full advantage of the magic wand. Mm, thank you. Technique. <laughs> What things would you do that are realistic and, and possible if you had a position of power?
1: Uh, I would eliminate kickoffs. I think kickoffs are a waste of time now. I mean, I think because – I mean, I think for the right reasons, they, they moved – they, they um, have de-emphasized kickoff returns. It's harder to, repl- to uh, recover onside kicks. You know, there's now a waste – I mean, kickoffs and punts are still where a lot of injuries take place. Uh, because you have high-speed, you know, fairly, you know, balls-to-the-wall players. Are you allowed to say that on this radio? I, 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 whatever. Edit me. It. Sorry. You can I say it. apologize. No, you have, like, some very, very kind of abandoned um, players just sort of running up and down the field and, and high speeds that create injuries. So I would eliminate that. Um, I would eliminate the number of games, no question. I would certainly encourage, you know, youth football to be touch or flag football until – you know maybe age fifteen, sixteen, you know until kids are more fully developed. Um I don't think the NFL has done you know they're they're not advocating that because they're eliminating football from from the ranks of their youth. So that's not good for business. Um so I, I would start with that.
0: Final question, just as somebody who very honestly talks about your cognitive dissonance with respect to caring about you know loving the game and watching the game and being a fan of the game, but also caring about the people who play the game and who get hurt. What was going through your mind as you was as you were watching players from, from both teams openly agonize on the field after Hamlin went down, some of them crying?
1: It was an amazing and horrifying and sickening thing to watch. Um, it was also, I, I was, um, you know, I'm of many minds about this. I mean, I thought there was quite a bit of humanity on display in ways that were surprising to me. I thought the ESPN announcers um, handled it pretty well. I, I thought you know, I, I thought it was in some ways a shared vigil um, of a moment that, you know, maybe we as a society know that we are somewhat complicit in as as consumers of this sport and the fans of this sport. I think the emphasis on, on Hamlin's health and his, you know, hopefully getting him to safety was, was absolutely appropriate. But mostly, I, I think it was kind of it was an incredible spectacle. It was deeply emotional. You also realize that, you know, we're just never that close from that as people watching football. I mean, I remember, and I wrote about this in the book, um, during the Super Bowl in 2018 between the Patriots and the uh, Eagles, the Patriots had a receiver named Brandon Cooks who was tackled by Malcolm Jenkins um, in the first half, got a terrible concussion, wasn't moving for two or three minutes. And this was one of those, I mean, a really bad, gruesome scenario. And the, um, stadium in Minneapolis where the game was, whatever it's called, whatever the stadium in Minneapolis was with a dome, went totally silent. And I remember saying to the guy next to me, Joe Drape, who covers horse racing for the New York Times where I was working that, I said, do you think they would cancel the Super Bowl if he didn't get up? And, you know, canceling the Super Bowl, you know, not a small thing. And he said, you know, I don't know, but I know that when I was covering the 2008 Kentucky Derby or something and this filly died." they uh it was a tragic and horrific event that horse racing never recovered from, but you know long story short, Brandon Cooks gets up after three minutes, he looks really woozy, he gives a thumbs up to the sidelines, which is kind of like what you do when you have a really scary injury, but then the player gets up, and that's kind of a signal for everyone to sort of get revved up again, okay, let's continue with the brutalizing of each other, the pulverizing, and um you know, let's get on with our fun but You know, look, this was a case where there was no thumbs up. There was no sort of tap on the helmet as he was being wheeled off. He was not wheeled off. He was ambulanced off. Um, It was unprecedented. It was hard to watch and also, frankly, hard to turn away from. I I didn't want to go to bed without knowing more about his condition. And, um, you know, I think that was something that spoke to the power of the moment also.
0: Yeah. No, I think very well said. Uh, Let's end by both hoping and praying that by the time people hear our conversation, Demar Hamlin is on the road to recovery. Really hope that that's true.
1: That would be great. It's a terrible situation. Hopefully there's a good ending.
0: Yeah. Mark Levich, thanks so much for joining. Great. Great to be with you. For more analysis of legal and political issues making the headlines, become a member of the Cafe Insider. Members get access to exclusive content including the weekly podcast I co-host with former U.S. attorney Joyce Vance. Head to cafe.com slash insider to sign up for a trial. That's cafe.com slash insider. If you like what we do, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. Send me your questions about news, politics, and justice. Tweet them to me at Preet Bharara with the hashtag AskPreet. Or you can call and leave me a message at 669-247-7338. That's 669-24-PREET. Or you can send an email to letters at Cafe.com. Stay Tuned is presented by CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tadashur. The senior producer is Adam Waller. The editorial producers are Sam Ozer-Staten and Noah Azulai. The audio producer is nat wiener and the cafe team is matthew billy david Curlander, jake kaplan namata shah and claudia hernandez our music is by andrew dost i'm your host preet barara stay tuned